Oh, don't ever call him lazy and can't be bothered. ADHD off the chain, but not lazy. I'd put that on a t-shirt. You're just lazy and you can't be bothered. Yeah, mm. yeah. I would quite like a t-shirt that just said, fuck the fuck off. <laughs> I really like it. I'd buy it. <laughs> and on the back, now. Or, I mean it, just on the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll do it. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I am Andy Urin. Alongside me is my co-host, Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. Hello, Pippa. And today we are joined by Maureen Baig. Uh, Maureen is a former teacher, broadcaster and author who is passionate about education and empowering young people. Not old people, just the young, just the young. She's emerged as an influential voice across a range of topics, including education, race, gender equality, and faith. Oh my God, that's a lot of stuff. Education, race, and gender equality and faith. My goodness. Uh, well, anyway, welcome to the um, podcast, Marine. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. So, Marie, what's keeping you up at night? Oh, I'll tell you what used to keep me up at night when I was teaching. Marking. Oh, God, yes. Mm. Marking would keep me up at night. What were you teaching? I used to teach English at GCSE oh, and so that's level. Oh, so that's the worst, because you've actually got to read the essays. Hang on, was it, would it be typed? No, it'd be hand... I mean, coursework, when I first started, it was the days of coursework, so that was typed. But most of it was kind of handwritten classwork and homework, essays and descriptions that went on the pages. Yeah, and, and you'd think, I don't really want to set homework because if I set it, I'm going to have to effing mark it. I actually just <laughs> didn't really mark homework, I've got okay. to be honest. You've got to find shortcuts somewhere. I'd mark classwork and the our faculty came up with the policy a couple of years into my teaching that we would not mark homework. The amount of work that teachers have to do just in the very basic level of teaching, I'm not talking about any of the other stuff that comes with the job, any of the emotional stuff, any of the pastoral stuff. I don't think any regular person can comprehend it until they've given it a go. Okay, so you were teaching in the schools for a while and I mean... I think, okay, A, it's really hard to be a teacher. B, the class is getting bigger and all the political problems that this country's facing and has been facing for decades, I guess. But on, on another level, it feels like we just, we can't seem to change education really to do, to, to, or is education changing? Can we can we change it to prepare, you know, the, the principle of education like, should is Should we to, still be teaching English because nobody like, well, reads you know, it the, the principle of education is to prepare people for society, yet we don't teach people some of the most basic stuff. So, you know, I always have this argument about bullying you know there's a lot of bullying in school you know you can't stop bullying it's like trying to stop drugs but maybe we should teach people why and what it is and how you should deal with it and stuff like that but you know the base question the curriculum doesn't really change that much does it it's been a weird one because every time we've had a new education secretary everyone wants to kind of put their own stamp on it so they make a change but the change is nonsense the change is not with children's best interest at heart the change is a load of shit and whatever their fetish happens well, it's also like the changes are made by people who haven't stepped foot in a school, a state school in particular, like probably in their whole lives. They don't actually know what children need right now. And they, like I say, they do it just to put their own stamp on things, but without any real knowledge of and thought behind what we're doing. I completely agree for years. Things like, I mean, particularly personal um, PSHE, so personal social, yeah. um, bullying, drugs, sex education, all those kind of things, but also how to 
apply for a mortgage, defying yeah. university, applying for courses. How do you go through clearing? All those things haven't been taught. PHSE, when I was uh, um, teaching, it was very much a tick box exercise, like half an hour a week, let's just get it done. The lessons are pre-prepped for you because we didn't, you've got enough to deal with without having to deal with that extra mm. half an hour lesson that you're kind of, you have to do. You haven't got specialist teachers teaching it and te like subject teachers don't have the time and the effort and the energy to put into it. So absolutely, I think it's a mixture. It's not like abolish maths altogether. Some people are great at academic subjects and we should be teaching those things too. But yes, there are other things we should be introducing. But how can schools do that? There's no money in schools. There's no time. There's no, how can you make any yeah, of those changes? It's very much the train is running, isn't it? How, how do you change the wheels? You know? I remember... Okay, so my sister's a teacher too. So is my brother. So it's my, like, we come from a family of teachers. So me and my sister, both professionals, both teaching young people, both clever. We set off a few years ago and we said, we're going to buy mum and dad a house. And we were like, we think we've got enough money. What do we do? Okay, so we're going to head off to the next, uh, the person on the high road. There's a, there's a shop there mm. and we're going to go there. And we're going to say, let's get a mortgage. And we went there and they laughed in our face and they were like, firstly, you don't have enough money. Secondly, like you don't, this is what you have to do we didn't know because we didn't come we weren't brought up in a family where we had those conversations around dinner table where my dad could help me and teach me how to do those things we were just two clueless young women trying to buy a house working really bloody hard trying to buy our parents a house and we should be teaching particularly these kids who aren't having those conversations around dinner table they don't have networks they don't have parents to guide them through these things mm. who's teaching them school should be teaching them but schools can't because they're dealing with all of the other stuff that's coming along with these budget cuts. Do you have a view on private and public? Do you think it should just be one system? Yeah, I've got a very strong view on it. Um, I'll tell you, I'll give you a bit of context behind this. So, okay, the pandemic. During lockdown, schools were shut. My sister teaches at a private school. Right. And her students continued throughout the pandemic. That doesn't mean the pandemic wasn't difficult on all young yeah. people and all people in general. But her students received their lessons online with their class teacher according to their school timetable for the duration of school closures. Where I taught, the same school where my sister actually attended as a student next to my primary school in, in an area called Tottenham, the majority of, of our students didn't have laptops. So they essentially for a great chunk of that school closure period did not have any lessons at all. They missed out on all of that time. If you think about uh, the students who would have been in year 10 and 11, that two-year period, those are the two most important educational years of their lives where they're going to then sit their GCSE exams by the end of it and then that's going to determine if they get to go, to, go on to higher education or if they get to apply to jobs with those grades. Imagine the impact that had on those students. It is completely not fair for children and the outcome of their lives to be affected by whether you're born into a rich family or not. I have taught students who are so incredibly bright, so incredibly hardworking. These are students who come from perhaps single parent families where their mums are nurses and working night shifts. So the student is going after school to pick up their younger sibling from their school, going home, making both of them dinner, 
doing maybe the younger siblings homework with them, trying to get their own one done, so on and so forth. You get the picture. I had students who used to go and clean toilets with their mum before school in the morning, before then getting to school to do their school day. And then you've got those same students who are in the state education system where we are, the class sizes are getting bigger, where they've got 33 kids in a class, where it's impossible for teachers to give each one the kind of attention and support that they need. And then you've got some kids who have three students in a class. It's basically private tuition. My sister, some of her classes have like one kid in there or two. This disparity, like, I just don't understand in what world that is fair, that the outcome of your whole life depends on how much money you're born into. Well, I, I, have to, I have to say something, which is I think you're focusing that it's just about um, money. In, in my experience, it's actually a huge amount about parenting. So it, you, don't, you can get a good education for your kids if you're willing to just fight like hell, move out of London. I mean, my friend, he moved, you know, to, he moved Camden, living in a fucking tiny little basement flat so his daughter could go to Camden Girls. I mean, it's actually, to me, there's a huge element of how lucky you are with your parents, you know, whether or not they are, you know, they got the time alive, you know, in some sort of place that they can fight your corner. So I think, I think we have to be careful in the argument because it's always the way the narrative is run now that it's just like these people with money because it's almost immediately saying these bunch of people are bad. Now, look, I'm sure there's some stockbrokers there or people who inherited money that probably might be arseholes because they don't appreciate, but there's lots of, you know, Doctors and accountants or whatever they are. Oh, this is so time consuming. Spit it out. Come on. So money, with money, you can get private healthcare, you can get private education. And that is, you know, better on the whole. It depends, you know, but it is better on the whole than, uh, you know, what is the state able to offer you for free? Within the state system, you know, you can fight to get your kid to the better place. And also, if they're very bright, as you name, there is a lot of scholarships at private schools and stuff, but you've got to fucking be on it again. You've got to be on it. But I, I suppose the thing that you were saying at the start of it, which was, it's a lot about the parents. Yeah, exactly. Like, if if you've got those kind of parents that really push for Fine. the yeah. best for their children, having to send their kids to state schools, I think potentially there would be a load of people fighting to make state schools exactly better in a way that, that there isn't. Can I interject? Please. You're right. I'm not not at all saying that all rich people are bad, all rich people are evil. It's those rich people's fault. I'm not saying that at all. However, I think there's a real, is danger the right word? It's wrong to say that it's about parenting because there are there are parents who are fighting to put food on the table for their children sure, sure. right now. So, and a lot of these parents may not be able to speak the language properly. I don't think it's wrong, but there might be parents. They, they who are can't parents do, who are good parents. They care well, about their children, but they can't just let's pack take an up even and more move extreme home. Order. order. The honourable gentleman has got to learn the art of patience. Let's take an even more extreme example. You both your parents die. You know, now now we're in a place where a lot of people may argue that this that the, the, it's the system's responsibility to level things up. Okay, so now let's take me. I'm privileged, yeah. And why am I privileged? You know, I'm literally tick every box. You know, I went to the best schools, blah blah blah. It's not just my dad who fucking bust his ass. My granddad, the grand. So I've been lucky. If you look back through the chain, it's like generation after generation have slowly built and built and built to get me living on the shoulders of giants. So what I recognize is that my privilege is not built out of, oh, your dad's rich and it's all right for you. It's like, well, no, 
lucky enough, none of my grandparents and parents have died really young and they've all worked their asses off and they've gone from sort of being a, a little bookkeeper in Norwich to being in the Norwich Union to one of them suddenly becoming an accountant to finally setting up an accounting business to my dad building an accounting. Then that's just one chain of it. So, you know, I, exactly by, by saying, well, it's your fault as a parent. Uh, nah, but I think we have to recognize that are we saying that it is the responsibility of the system to level things up? Because if it is, you give up as a parent to some extent because you say, well, it doesn't fucking matter what I do because they all end up with shit. I so, don't you know. doubt that your family built and not everyone is kind of like, you know, rich. a lot of rich people became rich because they worked bloody hard and they grafted yeah, and grinded yeah. to get there. Yes. But the idea that this country operates as a meritocracy is a lie. It's a myth. And there are people who work really, really hard. I don't really think hard. I said that though, did No, I? but I'm saying that you can't just say... A meritocracy you know, is somewhere where... If you work hard, you will Everything make will it. be fine. No. But I think it's that that point that Rena made in that, the, the podcast the other day about it's not about trying to make things equal, it's about equity, trying to make things fair by evening the playing field for people that don't have as much. I must get this clear. I had a really bad time in education. Boarding school fucks people up so much. No one's really prepared to hear this and everyone says it's a privilege and stuff, but it gives you terrible mental conditions like sending you away. It was to build people in the empire. Everyone's like, oh, lucky you. You're not allowed to complain. But those people suffer something called um, survival mentality, which people who went to prison or care had. And it connects. So the weirdest thing is people who went to boarding school have this connect with people who actually come from some of the most deprived homes. And there's this really weird connection. So it's just really complicated. You are absolutely right. And I was one of those people, admittedly, who when my sister was joining a private school after doing 15 years in state, I was like, how can you do that? Like, you cannot join the dark side. You cannot go. Splitter! (laughs) (laughs) And one year into her being in the private school did change my perception of kids who go to private schools and they have their own sets. So it doesn't, kids are kids. And neglect can look different in different circumstances. And so... You're completely right that just because you went to a great boarding school, yes, it comes with many, many privileges that will set you up really well in life. But at the same time, there are lots of issues that come with that. And I completely hear that. Psychologically, not so great. Yeah. Mm, Totally get that. Equally, obviously, psychologically, not so great when all sorts of shit is happening. Like what we, I wrote a eulogy a month ago for one of the students that we taught who was shot in the head he was not part of any gang or anything and when a newspaper article went up about it people commented saying one more gone good riddance must have been in a gang so and so forth with no real idea i remember one of our boys after school we were driving to the gym after school me and a colleague and we saw he was on the floor and he had a knife to his neck he was about to be stabbed the teachers who are now also police officers because our resident police officer due to budget cuts has to now be shared with three other schools so we only have him one day a week rather than having him every day so now you have a resident police officer we had a resident police officer but now we don't have them teachers have to patrol the high road and the local park until 5 30 every day to make sure nothing kicks off that boy was on his way to his grandfather's 80th birthday party but some boys recognized him as well not being from the ends and were about to stab him and he was a couple of months away from, his, away from his GCSEs. If that was any regular person or a person who wasn't a black boy from Tottenham, they would need therapy. They would have some sort of support. He had to make that same journey on his way to school and on the way back the following morning because there were no allowances made. There was no support put in place. Because what can you do? That's just a part of their regular life. So one of my sister's students, he could 
barely speak. He was very nervous, very anxious, and not very bright. He was like a solid grade two across everything. And my sister contacted his father and said, this was in the private school, and said, I'm a bit worried that we don't think he's actually going to pass any of his core subjects. Mm. We don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, he, you could barely like get a whisper like a out mouse. of him. Yeah. And he, the dad walked in. He said, you've wasted my time by calling me in. I don't care because I'm going to buy him a business when he's older oh and he will employ people and pay them to do the job to make sure it's done well. So he won't have to do anything. So it doesn't matter. Get over Wanker. it. How is it fair that you've That's got some parent. kids who work so hard and fight against all the odds and come out with their grade nines and grade eights with stories you cannot comprehend? And then you've got this grade two kid who can barely whisper a word who's going to end up being a CEO of something. Yeah. Well, he wouldn't end up being a CEO. Uh, maybe of a fake company of his family. I think that's an outlier. I think always difficult in life is we always end up so shaped by the outliers, which is, is what all, we all envisage in our heads, you know. My brother-in-law very firmly believes in you shouldn't send your children to private schools because he believes that we sh should be supporting the state system, right? The yeah. three eldest all went to state school. But, you know, those three, they, they went to a pretty bad state school. But in some ways, it actually benefited them because they're all really bright. And, you know, they've all gone to Cambridge. But the younger, the youngest one, like, it, you know, is dyspraxic and dyslexic. And my brother-in-law has actually ended up sending her to a private school for her GCSEs. But, you know, my point is that their needs are very different because they're very different children. You know, some some people are bright and some people are stupid. And, like, we've got to, you know, presumably one of the things about society is finding a way to help those people that don't have those, like, natural abilities. Mm -hmm. Special educational needs is a really, really interesting... I mean, that could be a whole podcast by itself. Mm. My best friend has been fighting to get some sort of support for her daughter who has special educational needs and the levels that she has had to go to in order to like you've got to fill out these forms and you've got to go to this meeting you need to know who like to contact a senko but then you've got to go to an educational something even i don't really you kind know. Of need to know what you're doing you need to know what you're doing my mum and dad wouldn't even my mum and dad you know they've got degrees from pakistan they they're educated they can speak the language, they, but they wouldn't know where to even begin. And you look at somewhere like the school where I taught, where hardly any children had, and a lot of them probably had learning needs, but hardly, of the, hardly any of them actually had it kind of on the system with any support. And then you look at somewhere like my sister's school, where nearly every single child has got some sort of diagnosis because their parents can afford to mm. get them that diagnosis. And sometimes it's not even... I don't even think it's real. It's like, oh, actually, Betty is allergic to air. I don't think Betty is allergic to air and needs extra time, but you could pay for it. Um, I like the fact that she's called Betty. <laughs> um, what do you think then about, you know, careers advice in schools? Because... It's I, terrible. It's terrible. I didn't have any, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. non-existent. If they just gave you an hour with an actual, I don't know, an entrepreneur or someone actually knew mm. something about the world and be like... Ask you what you good. I mean, I we do it in our. I sit and meet kids. It's like, well, what are you good at? What are you not good at? Are you organised mm. this, that, and the other. There's some suggestions. I'm Pakistani, and I only knew that you can be a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer, and that was 
Those the are the only things you can be, just it, to be clear. That was, <laughs> that's it. Accounts. Oh, teacher. No such you thing as career teacher. advice. No teacher. My mum thought I failed in life. She wasn't oh, happy dear. about that. Yeah. Um, I was supposed to be a doctor. But yeah, careers advice in school, when I taught non-existent and when I was at school myself, non-existent. In your ideal world tomorrow, if we could wave a magic wand, one school system. Yes, yeah? definitely. Can't you know all the schools are falling down? Yes. Yeah, okay. Because of the type of concrete and area. I guess it's not pro schools falling down. I always find it fascinating that someone's built a building. When you read it, it says, so they build these buildings, which are going to last 30 years. I mean, who would ever build a building that would last 30 years? I don't know, but... I don't think there is. I mean, if you have any comment, I mean, on my it. answer will always, nearly always, come down to funding and the fact that we need to fund schools better, particularly state schools. I think that we need to, and that concrete comes into that along with everything else. I yeah. think we need to just invest in young people, invest in education, and invest in schools, whether that's the physical buildings or whether that's what's happening within them. And I think all the people who moan and say teachers shouldn't be striking and they should just get on with they just don't want to teach they're being lazy who says that by the way everyone says that I got into many Twitter right. spats, spats before I wrote my book like, so that's the they reason that about why about doctors too you know? they do it's but bullshit what they don't realise is that right now you don't care because you believe it doesn't affect you right fine it's somewhere to free babysitting somewhere to send your children fine so you can go to your yoga class now when in a few years time those young people who are poorly educated in poor conditions who weren't given the emotional or academic support that they needed when they grow up and become part of society it will affect you you are going to have an increase in poverty an increase in crime an increase in all these things and then you will care and you will wish that you had invested more in young people 10 years ago. I think generally we haven't got enough money, but I think Labour will get in and they will spend they find more money, money on when education. They want to find money. They find money for the things yeah, that they want I to agree. find money for. So fucking feed the children and give it to schools. Isn't there a discussion though around, I mean, and it's a kind of perennial discussion around how much we value teachers? This whole thing of 2008 when loads of people got laid off as lawyers and ended up becoming teachers because like, that was the only job they could get. But, you know, they're taking half their salary because they don't get paid that well. Well, there is. There's a national teacher crisis for, and it's not just to do with pay, but that is a part of it. Because like I say, when I was talking about all the overtime that you have to do working in your holidays, weekends, evenings, like I... I got so physically ill before I left teaching. Physically ill, I did not have time to go to the doctors because it was like oh I can't take another day off because it's my kids who will suffer mm -hmm. and even if I took a day off I have to send in cover work so like there's actually no point so it's not just the money that's part of it it's the fact that they're working in such poor conditions the fact that now we're teaching 35 kids in a class you're not able to help the kids in the way that you wanted to my best friends have left the profession altogether my best friends have my friends have moved to Dubai to go and teach over there so they get more money You've got my sister who moved to the, the private sector. Because if you feel like you're not doing your job well, you don't really want to do it anymore. It's heartbreaking. It's it's really when you want, when you join the profession, none of us joined for the glory. None of us joined because we thought we'd become millionaires at the end of it. You joined because you cared about the kids. You genuinely wanted to help them. You wanted to teach your subject. You wanted to help young people grow into really great young adults. And when you can't do that, I don't know how to get across, like how disheartening it is when you are giving everything you have physically got and I mean in terms of time but also I'm going to give you another morbid example so I 
uh, one break time, we were all sent out a message on the register and it said, you need to all come to the staff room. We went down and we were told one of our students was running for the bus in the morning, hit by the bus and died. God, the, the literal proverbial... 15 minutes later, hit by a bus. And unfortunately, he has died. I'll never forget that moment. It was near where I le- when I left. 10 minutes later, I had to stand in front of the class who are all looking at me to with their all sets, uh, their own sets of problems. Someone's house got raided the night before by the police at 2 a.m. They're tired. Someone else, whatever has happened. They're looking to me to brighten up their day and to give them some sort of respite. They can, I always say, you can leave your problems at the door when you're here. It's your safe space. I've got to then, like the emotional toll that takes on you and then you're going home after you've had that day and you haven't had a second to cry yet and you are then doing the marking the planning for the following day and you're falling asleep in your books and you've got no social life I had 22 women in my faculty none of us were married if we were we got divorced and none of us had children and if we were then we didn't get to spend any time with them um and then you see your friend who's in a different job who are getting like bonuses for something, who are able to buy a house, who are able to... And you just think, for how long can I keep doing this as a vocation? For how long can I keep doing this for the good of the world? Like at some point, I've got to think about myself. What do you think of the thing? Um, It's like it comes from the West Wing originally. The idea that you kind of pay people to work for a couple of years as teachers. Like really, you know, high flyers that are going to then go into banking or go into something else, but it's almost like voluntary service, but you pay them and they teach for a couple of years and then they go and do something else. I think it takes you a couple of years to even work out how to, work do, it. Out how to do it well. And yeah. I think if you know, if you come in with the intention that you're just going to leave and go to your high flying job, I think you're probably not going into teaching for the right reasons. Yeah. And what you need is you need more people going into the job because they want, they love and they want to educate and help and well you've really sold people. it to us to be honest i'm sorry i do want to point out that it is also the best job in the world like it's actually when i left teaching and i solidly was just doing tv and media stuff for a good couple of years before i then realized i was like this is soulless and actually what i really miss is being with young people again and being able to teach them again. And I know it sounds wanky, but it's like, it's so rewarding. It's so satisfying. It genuinely fills your soul. Like it's it's so good for you when it's How good. are you fulfilling that now? I now go back and volunteer in tuition centres and schools on every evening and day, including Saturdays and Sundays that I'm not working. And I had to do that to for my own sanity. To make you feel okay. To make me feel okay. Because going from something as soul nourishing as teaching and then moving into something else like tv where there's none of that it was a it was actually a very difficult move because it is the most beautiful job working young people is the most rewarding and wonderful thing ever and i would recommend it for everyone if they were given good conditions to work I think, you know, a really important part of this conversation is all employers out there, they're all desperately trying to find people, they're trying to bring in the young. The young couldn't be more, you know, sort of like, I don't know, just not really feeling it these days. I I don't know how to describe how they feel, but, you know, because I'm not them, but there's, you know, certainly there's a a real huge diversity of attitudes and stuff. But do you think all those subjects are needed? I quite, and I know me and my sister actually disagree on this, but I quite like the fact that we teach all these subjects in year seven and eight and nine and then you get to choose the ones that you want to continue with and you get to I dropped history and geography and PE and often I think with young people I think it's not actually the subject that they hate or love it's the teacher that can make all the difference so I think if at 12 you say you should did maths 
even worse accent there. But if you mm. say that, I think it's you haven't given them a full opportunity to really explore that subject with different people to see how they and actually feel about it. It's amazing how one it. teacher at one point in your life who inspires you about that subject, it, it lasts. I think the most amazing thing out of what you guys are saying is that teachers can say something 20, 30, 40 years ago, but the words stick. And you do realize that sometimes you're a human being, you can say something that's just a throwaway comment. And to that child, that will either build them or break them. It's going it, to, like anything that comes out of your mouth could be that changing moment for that mm. child. So you've got to be very, very careful at what you it's say. It's a big responsibility. It's a huge responsibility. I worked in the opposite way. I remember when I was in year 11, my English teacher said at parents' evening, she said, and I didn't even know she liked me very much. And she said, I expect to see Maureen's name in shining bright lights one day. Aww. And I never have forgotten. Sometimes, even in recent times, this is like 20 years on, if I'm having a really shit day or I'm feeling quite low, I'm feeling quite just like, yeah, giving up. I remember that. And I think, fuck this. Remember who you are. Like you've had this since you were young. Like you can't give up now. And that, it stays with me. So you've given up, well, you're still teaching a bit, but you've kind of given up the full-time teaching. You're now media, mm -hmm. full stop. What's the long-term goal? The long-term goal is for me to mix my teaching experience, and that's what I truly love, with the platform that I have created, the platform that I have created and will hopefully continue to create through my media work, put it all together and start my own school. Ooh. I think I would like, so pick the subjects, I would plan the lessons, I'd recruit the teachers who genuinely love the kids and want to be there and want to help them. And I'd just give my kids so much love, nice. so much emotional support and so much like, I'd make education fun. I think educate. I think there's a big now, especially this is a generation that's grown up on social media and they see that you can probably be, like they think that you can live a very lavish lifestyle full of luxury just by like posting pictures on the internet or videos on YouTube. And they, so it makes it very difficult to engage those children and say, learn about maths or learn about English because they're like, well, why do I need to, why do I need to bother? And I feel like for a generation that's grown up on social media, Glow Up Your Grades is trying to use social media, but make education feel relatable. I want them to watch someone and be like, I don't mind becoming a little bit like her or actually she's a little bit like me. So maybe I can do this too and make it just feel cool. I started Glow Up Your Grades last year and it was because I thought, I always, I was, I was 21 when I started teaching. I thought I was going to save the world. I thought I was going to save every child out there. Then I left. And now that I'm kind of going back into that education space, I'm like, how can I use my experiences so far to create something for young people at a time when they really, really need it? And that's why I started making these online resources. And that's why I started, I'm looking to expand, glow up your grades into different places. So it's not just glow up your grades. Glow up your grades. I love it. I love the idea. But I'm just curious, did you ever, you know, have you ever had a kid that you're like, it doesn't matter how much love I give this kid, he's a little shit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had lots of little shits. Any names? Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they, I think I can only think of one student I ever taught where I thought, I actually don't like you very much. And I think no matter how much the problem isn't that you're, I'm not giving you enough love, I'm not showing you that I care for you and I, I'm trying to show you respect and... 
actually you're just not a very nice person did you ever did you ever meet the parents did you ever meet um, the there were lots of issues at home and that's why you always have to you always soften with so many of these kids you realize there's a reason why they are the way they are but he was the only kid that I said to a colleague I said if I met if I met him on the high road with a group of friends in a shop I wouldn't feel safe I wouldn't feel like he would have that kind of thing in his head of that's my teacher. He didn't have those boundaries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's the fact that what is going wrong for young people, why is there an increase in crime? Why is there an increase of young people who who have no value for life? It's because these kids don't feel valued. It's because you've been cutting the youth centres, cutting the youth services, cutting the pastoral support, making their schools a shit place to be for over 10 years now. And you're now seeing the impact of that and it's only going to get worse. I think that's what's happening. And in whatever way that's kind of playing out you've got to think of the root cause of why this is happening but if you don't see any future you don't think that you'll ever own a house you don't think you'll ever get a good job you don't think there's really anything for you you see your mum why the fuck you see would you bother yeah. yeah there are young people growing up with a lot of pain and a lot of hurt they feel disenfranchised they feel no sense of belonging a lot of young people growing up with no good role models a lot of people growing up watching their mothers or parents or families struggle. Lots of young people who feel the responsibility of putting food on the table. Looking after their siblings. Exactly that. I remember I did a talk at Westminster once and it was about, it was to make, it was for 16 to 19 year olds to get young people more engaged in politics. And I was with lots of MPs and the MPs stood up on stage and they said, write me a letter, you know, I'm always always available for you. And everyone in the audience just looked like they wanted to fall asleep. And then one young girl put her hand up, stood up and she said, the reason why I don't care about politics or politicians is because the only time you guys will care about someone like me, someone who looks like me, is when you hear my name in the news because something that's terrible has happened to me. Mm-hmm. And it was a real kind of eye-opener at how a lot of young people feel about the state of politics in this country. What do you think you've got wrong? What's your biggest um, mess up and what do you think it taught you? I think there was a period between leaving teaching and where I'm at right now where I felt really out of place in the media industry. The the majority of people in the institution where I was predominantly working, um, the events that I was going to, they were not from a similar background to mine. They would be having conversations where I had nothing I felt like I had nothing to offer, nothing to add. It didn't interest me. I had no knowledge about it. I remember sitting at one dinner and they were talking about, oh, rhubarb is back in fashion. And they said, no way. I didn't Who know doesn't rhubarb fucking love rhubarb? And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why is everyone talking about rhubarb? This is not a party. Like, I don't know what's happening right now. And I think I really lost my confidence. And I had a couple of years where... I really started thinking about myself as a brand. Everyone would say, like, mm. what's your brand? And I was almost like turning myself into this commodity, like objectifying myself, thinking of myself as a brand, trying to get my social media up, trying to think about how I can create create content that would match this brand. And then trying to talk about rhubarb and or just not say anything at all. And I lost my voice. And my voice was my most powerful asset my whole life. Like no one could ever like stop me from saying how I felt. No one fucks with the voice, man. (laughs) But the voice was fucked with. And I think that was a real low point for me. And that's a part of why I then went back into education and thought I need to kind of find myself again. And the way to do that is through working with young people again. 
and I think that was my fuck up. It was like trying to be someone I'm not or trying to impress people that I really don't need to impress. A lot of these people who speak the loudest or speak the fanciest who sit around these tables with you, they're not necessarily better than you or more knowledgeable and wise than you at all. And that's a real They'd reminder. Never be intimidated to... by other people's brand. Just for clarity... Rhubarb is one of the most delicious things on the planet. By the way, if you had... Fucking rhub- if you love had, rhubarb. Uh, rhubarb um, alcoholic rhubarbs, rhubarb snaps, or whatever it's called, like rhubarb yes. liqueur. I have, incredible. because I've been to Orkney, and that's all they make. Oh, is it? Yes. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Ooh, um, Leslie Joseph, I was doing the pilgrimage with her. Um, so we were walking together for three weeks, and she said to me, today is the tomorrow you were worried about, and all is well. Hang on. Today is the tomorrow you are worried about. Yeah. yeah. And all is well. Yeah. 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 Sorry, that took me a while. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Business Without Bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark, straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. You can find us at oriclark.com. I mean, your industry isn't even in education now. You're in media now. I am. You're in media. And I'm in media. Oh, darling. <laughs> oh, darling. I hate it. Ugh. What do you think is bullshit in your industry? Oh, then? all of it. I absolutely despise it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, <laughs> I'm in it now. and I'm Don't not, hold back. I'm not a quitter, <laughs> so I'm going to keep going. And until I feel like I've really kind of made my mark in it. you got a BAFTA. What more do you want? Um, I don't really know what I'm aiming for. I know I'm not quite there yet. If I left right now, I'd feel like I'm quitting and leaving because I don't like something. So I Mm. can't let myself leave yet. But God, this is not my forever. It happened completely by accident. I loved my job. I had just been promoted um, into a senior role. And at the same time, I was at work and something happened at work that really pissed me off that morning. I had a free period and I remember, it's so weird, in a moment of madness, I was in the English office and I thought, I'm going to write about what just happened. And I wrote something. It was nothing particularly clever or profound. It was called Why I'm Not Married. And I wrote this kind of article. They say I used to be a blogger, but I didn't even know what blogging was. I just wrote this article and I thought, God, that's, I love writing. And I thought that this is really good. That night I put it up on my Facebook for my friends to see it. And I went to sleep and I woke up the next morning and people in Uganda and Kazakhstan were reading it and the BBC had left a message on it saying, can you please call us? We want to talk to you about a new documentary that we are doing. Wow, viral. So I literally, I fell into it. I spoke to them and they pitched the idea of Muslims like us, which sounded horrific. So I said no. And they were really, really persistent, which I'm very grateful for now. But at the time, I was not having it. And they were like, for three months, they were like, can we come to your house and meet your family about, like, what are you apprehensive about? We just want to talk about what concerns you have. And it was when the executive producer came to my house, and this was about three months in, when he let my dad really got on with him. And when he left, my dad said, what are you worried about? And I said, they're going to stick me in a house Mm. with nine other Muslims who are going to tell me I can't be Muslim because I've got nails and my hair is showing. I just don't fancy doing that, really. Mm. It doesn't feel like a hugely positive experience. Um, Why would anyone put themselves through that? And my dad said, I didn't raise you to be weak. I didn't raise you to be stupid. I remember. And he said, opportunities don't come round forever. Yeah. So you need to grab it while you can. Um, And I called them that day and I said, I'll do it. Was that the start of 8 Mile? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking, you got it. 
Because that's what that song's about. <laughs> that it's like, you know, when you get an opportunity, take it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Mom's spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree, man. And your dad gave you great advice. It says it says huge things about him because because clearly your dad would be even more, you know, from Pakistani Muslim culture, which is it lacks a sense of humor at times. I would say <laughs> my dad is my dad is wild. He's really politically incorrect, but he's very very honest, no bullshit. Just says it how it how it is. And when he was like, you should do this. I called them and told them I'll do it. I went to my head teacher the next day who was amazing. He was like, be very careful because I don't want the media to abuse you. I was young. I'm like in my 20s and I'm just like here oh, to save worry, the world. Darling. And I was like, don't worry, I'll be absolutely fine. And I did it and it was one of the best experiences of my life. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Loved the show. Then obviously we won the BAFTA. Then I did the acceptance speech one night. The following morning, I was doing a GCSE masterclass at seven o'clock. Hannah Montana did it for a year because I couldn't just up and leave my job for something if I didn't like know it was going to pay me properly, like have stability. When I realized after the BAFTA speech that it was secure enough for me to leave, I resigned that September and decided to do this full time. So this is uh, the 10 second quick far round. We're going to give you about 10 seconds. We're going to ask you a load of questions, get to know you a little better. Um, we've got about 10 seconds to answer, DQ the music. What was your first job? Um, I was teaching in a Saturday tuition centre. That's a lot of teaching. What was your worst job? That's the only job I ever had before I became, before I became a teacher. Wow. Yeah. What was your worst job? Worst. That's the only job I've had. Oh, I see. Yeah. But what, as in like... I volunteered in a tuition centre. I finished my degree. I went straight so into teaching. So naturally, teaching, so was, teaching the was the worst job. was your worst job. Glad we cleared that <laughs> up. Okay, so the worst job, <laughs> it was probably like, yeah, my couple of years of making documentaries. I didn't love that. Okay. Favourite subject at school? English. What's your special skill? The voice, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Kneel to the voice. <laughs> MCV. I don't know. This isn't like literally a skill and I'm not good at being fun, but I think I'm really good at speaking to all people. I okay. mean, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I can speak to different types of people. You can walk with, if you can walk with kings and, and speak, well, what's yeah. the line? You know, um, I'm trying to think what mine is, but in, when I was younger, I used to be able to balance a pint on my tits, but I don't think I can do that anymore. <laughs> Maybe you can. No, not since like they've gone that way. Um, <laughs> it's a good question well we'll get back to we'll do our podcast one day we'll yes. smash it up with your tits balancing yeah uh, <laughs> uh, whose go is it what did you want to be when you grew up a doctor Oh, what yeah. did your parents want you to be? My parents wanted me to be a doctor, so by default, I thought I was going to be a doctor. My secret dream was always to be in musical theatre. That's wow. Pretty. Okay, yeah. That's an excellent segue to my next question. What's your go-to karaoke song, Mrs. Music? Oh, um, my heart will go on. Oh, I don't know that song. <laughs> Titanic. Oh, come on. <laughs> really. How's it go? Anyway. I'm not singing it. Yes, I'm singing you it. Could, I mean... You like singing. You like musical theatre. You should maybe give it a go. No. Uh, no, not right now. My favourite right films are musicals. Bugsy Malone, Blues Brothers. Anyway. Hamilton. Grease. Good c team. Well done. <laughs> Smash it. Office dogs. I think I know your answer to this. Business or bullshit? Office dogs? Bullshit. Oh, no, he's not there. Oh. Where is he? Probably oh, by me somewhere. He's is he in there? Is he in me? Yeah. He He's loves very you. sweet. He's called Romeo. He, he, he'll be nice. Uh, what's your vice? I, as of my, since I hit my 30s, I get angry. 
I get ang- I get really angry. And it never, I used to be really patient. I think this is, again, I left teaching, I lost my patience. I'm not patient with bullshit anymore. I get angry. And that's probably the worst I, thing about me. It takes me, some days, it takes me twice as long to get to work because I have to keep stopping to tweet because I listen to, <laughs> to, listen to the Today programme on. on the way. That's, an, ex- that's an excellent answer of what's wrong with you, but it's, yeah. it's not your vice. You, you, you have an outlet singing then or something. I mean, vice is kind of like, what's your, what, how do you keep yourself sane? If you get you angry know? to an extreme, then that is a vice. That's how you deal with it? You go and you do some like... <laughs> yeah, I, I will shout. I will shout and not oh, listen to the other. I'm a shouter. Oh, a shouter. Yeah. Wow. Okay, very good. That's the end of the quick fire round. And have you got any recommendations on things you should read or watch oh or my listen goodness. to? Yes. Okay. I've got lots of book recommendations, but recently I read a book, which isn't a new book, but I only just read it recently and it's become my new favorite book. My favorite book now is One Day and it's about a boy and a girl on their graduation night. And they're kind of talking about where do you think we're going to be when we're like 30 or when we're like, and he's mm. like, oh, don't say that. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. He's an absolute asshole, basically. He is. Yeah. But... Then, so you follow them every year for the next 20 years. And it really makes you think, particularly like I'm 33. So, and it really makes you think about how you don't, before you know it, you are 30. And before you know it, life is nothing like what it's you thought it would be. It's a little bit normal people. Actually, it isn't is, it? Yeah. yeah. And it's just beautiful. It's tragic. It really makes you reflect about your own life and where you thought you would be and how life just takes you in these twists and turns, but without ever seeming dramatic. And it's just, you end up somewhere that you never thought you would be, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. I think it's absolutely beautiful with a rushed ending. Nice. Do you podcast at all? Do you listen to podcasts? I have a podcast. <laughs> you have a podcast. Do you want to plug the podcast quick? Um, I love my podcast. It was called The Secret Life of Teachers on Radio 4. And it was basically during the pandemic when everyone had an opinion about teachers. And I thought, let's get behind the headlines and see what's really going on in schools. And so I used to have a group of three teachers with me every episode and we just talk about what's happening in school. Was it just horror stories? It was a mixture of, I mean, it's very funny and I think a bit shocking um, and a bit sad at times. Um, I loved Serial. I loved Serial. Loved Serial. Particularly the first, the first season. The other seasons are fine. Yeah. First season, amazing. Yeah. A um, little bit obsessed with that. I love a bit of my dad wrote a porno. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I love that too. That's good. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. I haven't yeah. listened to it for ages. It's just the fact that giggling the entire time. Oh, we're all giggling because it's like British people just can't cope with that. Like, we're so repressed. It's like, oh my God. So this is where we give you 30 seconds to plug whatever you would like to plug. You, your podcast, whatever. Glow Up Your Grades is a digital series. It's 50 videos along with other shorter videos to go with them where students can learn everything they need to know to pass their English language and literature GCSEs just by watching those videos. And if teachers also want to use them so that they don't have to plan 50 of their lessons and they can use them too. So it's there to make the lives of students and teachers and schools easier. I wrote the videos myself. I was part of the editing process myself they are all handcrafted i've been an examiner for 10 years they will teach you everything you need to know and everyone should subscribe and watch it and that was this week's episode of business without bullshit a big big thank you to marine for joining us and we'll be back on friday with our quiz business or bullshit in the meantime it's ciao